Forget frequently asked questions. Common sense. Common knowledge. Or Google. How about advice from a real genius? 95% of people in any profession are good enough to be qualified and licensed. 5% go above and beyond. They become very good at what they do. But only 0.1% are real geniuses. Richard Jacobs has made it his life's mission to find them for you. He hunts down and interviews geniuses in every field. Sleep science, cancer, stem cells, ketogenic diets, and more. Here come the geniuses. This is the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Before we begin, a note from our sponsor. I'm Richard Jacobs, Executive Director of the nonprofit Finding Genius Foundation and host of the Finding Genius Podcast. In late 2016, I was rear-ended at 65 miles an hour by a truck on the highway, which sent me off-road into a ditch. The impact of the collision gave me a concussion and other injuries. At the hospital, a CT scan showed that I had thyroid nodules, which turned out to be cancer. It was then, when I had a biopsy in my neck, that I realized, even if I was a millionaire, I wouldn't want a second or a third biopsy due to the pain and the invasiveness of it. And appointments at that time for thyroid experts were three to six months out. And I was worried about dying now, even if that was irrational. So because of this, I've decided to raise money to conduct a literature review on steroids, on the causes of anxiety and depression, a condition that affects well over 50 million people in the United States and hundreds of millions worldwide. Our goal is to create a codex, a guide, that reveals all possible treatments for anxiety and depression for people that live with the condition or for loved ones that have it, as my wife and my son do. To find out more about our fundraiser, visit FindingGeniusFoundation.org and click on Current Initiatives. And now, to our guest. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Finding Genius Podcast, now part of the Finding Genius Foundation. I have uh, Professor Ilung Kay. He's, uh, mm-hmm. He works at Cornell. He's in the Department of Molecular Biology and Genetics. And we're going to talk about his research. So, uh, Ilong, thank you for coming. Well, thank you for uh, the opportunity here. Yeah, tell me about your research, please. Right. So, I guess I was trained as a biochemist and a structural biologist. So, my main interest is uh, basically RNA biology and trying to understand the role of RNA in biological processes. And so, that has been the focus you know, since uh, my independence at, in 2005. And so, th- there have been two themes going on in the lab. So uh, the first theme was to really understand how RNA could fold into defined tertiary structures and basically confer important functions by adopting that uh, structure. So basically CRISPR-Cas, right? So that has been the focus of the lab for the past 10 years. And so we're trying to understand the mechanisms by which the CRISPR-associated proteins uh, rely on the guide RNA to find its target in a very precise fashion and then exert, you know, basically nucleus or other activities on the target and destroy the target. And so, as you know, there there are a lot of novel tools invented based on this system. And so we're interested in understanding its mechanism and also bring out its applications. So, okay, so CRISPR, I know it's a bacterial ability, but Mm -hmm. uh, when it affects our cells, does it affect just nuclear DNA or does it affect RNA or, you know, how does it work in our cells? Right. So there are diverse types of CRISPR systems. Turns out that some exclusively targets DNA and others targets RNA exclusively. And now there are systems that turns out to uh, target both DNA and RNA. So just as you can imagine, there are diverse kinds of mechanisms. Okay. Is there a Cas8 or 7 or is it just right. 9 and why? 
Yeah, so so these are basically uh, named by uh, based on the Iowa Informatics, and so different CRISPR systems have their signature proteins. And so, uh, for example, everyone knows about Cas9, uh, which is a type two. You know, basically the signature protein in type two systems. Uh, and there are other interesting names like Cas12. And so, in my system, the signature protein is called Cas3. It, that's the nucleus in our system. Okay, so again, what so. Now that I understand a little bit better, you're using CRISPR-Cas systems to do what? To selectively cleave RNA or DNA or what's your model and what's your system? Yeah. So conceptually, so this is basically a RNA-guided immunity system, right? So in vertebrates, the immunity system relies on specific protein-protein recognition, right? So the antibodies recognize the antigens. Uh, So in bacteria, it turns out that there is also a very powerful adaptive immunity system. So basically the CRISPR-Cas, and they rely on uh, nucleic acid-based recognition. So the guide RNA specifies the target uh, based on the Watson-Crick base pairing mechanism, and then it basically guides the nucleus to further degrade the target. What does that mean, degrade the, I don't understand. What does that mean, degrade the target? What do you mean? Right, so, so basically uh, nucleuses will cleave the target Right. So most of the nucleuses will basically stop there after they uh, severed target in halves. So in my system, the nucleus is further fused with a helicase. And so basically it's a nucleus hooked onto a locomotive. And so together they will consume ATP and travels on DNA for extended distances. And along the way, the nucleus will keep degrading target, cleaving the target. And so that will result in a uh, very long deletion on the target DNA. But what rushes in then to interact with the cleaved pieces or to insert itself in in its place? Right. So basically, it's basically a cleavage, right? So you sever the DNA in half, for example. Uh, So in my system, it uh, does that repetitively. So it, it travels on DNA and it cleaves DNA in halves in multiple rounds. And the end, after repairing, the end result is a long deletion. Well, is the cleaving and the repair matched at the same time, or is the repair come a little bit later? And right. how is so, the repair accomplished? It, that's a good question. So it, it depends on the system, right? So it depends on whether it's a bacteria host or it's a, a eukaryotic host. So in eukaryotes, we mostly rely on uh, non-homologous and joining to uh, repair our DNA. So basically, we see two ends. Uh, then the, the enzymes will try to bring them together and immediately stitch them together. So that's the, the basic uh, repair mechanism. And so from that activity, uh, combined with the CRISPR-Cas3 editing, what we saw are basically deletion editing. Okay, so again, it cuts the DNA, but does it insert anything or it just cuts right. the DNA and the two severed halves are brought together or what's inserted? It, right, so in most cases, it's a deletion. The default outcome is long-range deletions. And so for insertions, that's an activity that you have to basically couple the CRISPR tools with a template DNA in many cases. And so that's usually not the default outcome. And so for Cas9, you usually need to bring a template DNA and, and trick the host cells to stitch it in for insertions. Well, again, what would be the point of mere deletions? Wouldn't you want to insert things instead? Or like, what's, what's the point of the system? Right. Uh, okay. So you're thinking about applications. Yes. Yeah. So again, so the application part is the afterthought after we understand the CRISPR systems, right? So 
the default function of all CRISPR-Cas is to disrupt DNA and so and basically destroy the pathogenic DNA and um, so that's the default outcome, right? So if you were to use it to fix a molecular a genetic disease, uh, you have to come up with creative strategies. Usually that's the case, right? So that requires people to think of creative ways. But now, so more recently, there is a, a new interesting tool. Basically, the transposons will carry CRISPR systems. And uh, together, they, uh, they were able to use, uh, basically carry out uh, RNA-guided insertions. And so that's a new phenomena, and we're still uh, studying it. Uh, so many groups in the CRISPR fields are studying it. So you focused it all on applications, or you focused on the, on the mechanism of how this works? Right. So, so the early batch of people entering into the CRISPR field, most of us were interested in the mechanisms we're trying to understand. So out of curiosity, we're trying to understand how this RNA-guided system works. And, and so the application, you could say, is a byproduct of these studies. So more recently, I think a lot of people entered the field purely for trying to for the purpose of trying to bring out the power of these CRISPR systems. And so I think I, my lab is positioned at the interface, right? So we start from understanding the mechanism. And then because we understand our system the best, uh, we're in a unique position to bring out its power for applications. So that, that's basically how I strategize my research. Okay. So when you study this in bacteria, how do they, how does it work there? What is the model there and the specifics of it? What do they do? The bacteria right. when they use this? Before we continue, I've been personally funding the Finding Genius podcast for four and a half years now, which has led to 2,700 plus interviews of clinicians, researchers, scientists, CEOs, and other amazing people who are working to advance science and improve our lives and our world. Even though this podcast gets 100,000 plus downloads a month, we need your help to reach hundreds of thousands more worldwide. Please visit FindingGeniusPodcast.com and click on Support Us. We have three levels of membership from 10 to $49 a month, including perks such as the ability to see ahead in our interview calendar and ask questions of upcoming guests, transcripts of podcasts you're interested in, the ability to request specific topics or guests, and more. Visit FindingGeniusPodcast.com and click Support Us today. Now back to the show. Right. So the default function for all CRISPR system is basically to, to use the guide RNA to find the target and then destroy the target or cleave the target, as we mentioned. And different CRISPR systems do it in different ways. And so we focus on the systems that not just cleave the DNA, but also deletes long stretches of DNA. And so it's a fairly sophisticated system that took us a bit longer to really understand everything in high resolution, uh, but eventually we understood it well enough uh, so that we can uh, we find the best strategy to bring it into the eukaryotic cells. And essentially, we were able to demonstrate that it works in eukaryotic cells. It worked to a pretty high efficiency, and uh, we showed the default outcomes of that editing action in eukaryotic cells, which is basically a long-range deletion. Well, it doesn't make sense. The bacteria would just delete material out of what another bacteria, or they must fill um, up something. I mean, right. So do keep they in do mind it to themselves. I mean, where, where how does this work in nature? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So keep in mind that um, so this is an RNA-based immunity system, right? So the it's immune against you could say foreign genetic elements, right? So it touches the theme 
of basically host pathogen interactions, right? So that's the. Does it just cut out endogenizing foreign material, like endogenizing right. so, viruses? Right. So, so the strategy is to identify this mobile genetic elements or foreign genetic elements or parasitic elements, whatever you say it, and basically things you don't want. So use the guide RNA to find those targets and then basically erase it to pieces, right? So not just cut it in half, but erase it in pieces so that there's no chance uh, for that DNA uh, to be repaired, you know, put back together, stitched back together again. And so that you, one could argue that's that is the uh, most efficient strategy to destroy a foreign genetic DNA. And so that is why, you know, the system, you know, the so-called the type 1 CRISPR is the most prevalent CRISPR system that you can find in nature, uh, in bacteria species. And so it's, it's more efficient at what it's doing, right? So basically to provide the surveillance function to fight off foreign genetic elements. So for bacteria, it's like a second stage pump. You know, I know they, they create pumps to pump out toxic material, but if material gets in and then let's say endogenizes the bacteria's you know, uh, genetic material, this can cut it out and get it out of there as well, right? Yeah, so it has to respond fast and it has to respond very e- efficiently, right? Because otherwise, if the foreign genetic elements gets integrated into the bacterial genome, it's almost impossible to eradicate it, right? So it become part of it and it will be too dangerous to cut it out because uh, in most cases, if, you're, uh, if the bacteria were to attempt to cleave it off, it basically commits suicides. It's not able to repair the genome lesion that it caused on itself. Okay, so this is a, uh, all right, a secondary system. Gotcha. So does Cas9 come with it? Do the bacteria simply just cleave out bad genetic elements or do they put back certain elements or do they add elements? I mean, what if there's a beneficial plasmid bacteria wants to integrate into its genes? Does it use CRISPR-Cas to put it in there in the first place? There, there are different creative ways for the CRISPR systems to be used. Default function is to cleave. Say that's 99.9% of cases, that's what it does. It picks up a new memory, make sure it's, it's immune against that particular uh, phage. And, or transposon or plasmid, that kind of thing. Okay, so you're trying to do this for what kind of conditions? To remove genetic abnormalities, or what's your goal with the research? If you like this podcast, please click the link in the description to subscribe and review us on iTunes. Right, so that is still being developed in the lab, right? So we have a tool that has high impact upon targeting and shreds genetic information into pieces. It's high impact, but it's also harder to tame, I would say, for, say, therapeutic use. And I would say at this moment, it's a little bit dangerous to use as it is for therapeutic usage. And so we, at this stage, we're, we're mostly focusing on uh, the basic science usage, right? So what we're trying to do is to find scenarios where we can apply a deletion editing, generate libraries, for example, and understand what parts of our genome carries out important information. For example, there are many hidden genetic locus that are important for ability of the cell, for ensuring a correct splicing pattern for gene expression regulation, or uh, even uh, causing diseases. And so it's hard to correlate those kind of locus with the, uh, with the disease phenotype or specific biological processes. And, and if you were to use Cas9 to screen 
the specific location of these elements, it will be not very effective and it will be very costly uh, in terms of the uh, design, the library and stuff. Uh, but our tool is perfect for that kind of a study. And so we're, we're trying to demonstrate how we could use CRISPR-Cas3 based uh, deletion editing to efficiently zoom into important locuses in the cells that may cause disease or may be very important for biological processes. And so that has been the focus of the lab in the past two years. Okay. So the guiding, I mean, how does the guide happen? How do you, I don't know, how do you get CRISPR to cut out the elements you want? Do you, you know, how do you load it up with, how do you, how do you know where it's going to cut? That is the fundamental question that basically inspired a lot of us to dive into the CRISPR system to study it. And different systems does it slightly differently, but the main principle is basically you have the guide RNA, right? So the guide RNA actually can spontaneously invade into DNA because it's thermodynamically favorable. But uh, without the assistance of proteins, this process happens very inefficiently and very, very slow. And so basically what we're, that's my understanding, right? So basically what we're trying to understand is how the CRISPR-associated proteins promote the efficient target finding process. Basically, they form RNA protein complexes and they were able to efficiently zoom into the target and then basically form the RNA DNA hybrid and, and identify the target through that process. So you say form the RNA DNA hybrid. What does that mean? Right. So basically the guide RNA has to base pair with the DNA, right? So, and then uh, keep in mind that our DNA is dub- perfectly double-stranded, right? So it's perfectly base paired. And in order to, for the RNA to specify a target through base pair interaction, you have to unwind the DNA, right? So expose right. the DNA into single-stranded form and then replace one strand of DNA with the guide RNA to form the DNA-RNA hybrid. And so essentially all CRISPR systems that identify DNA target has to go through this process, unwind the DNA, promote the base pairing between guide RNA and one strand of the DNA, and essentially promote the formation of the so-called R-loop structure. Right, so you loop out one strand of DNA and form RNA DNA hybrid. So what is it called? Uh, the you know where the RNA and the DNA, you know the guide RNA first uses onto the DNA. What kind of feature does it latch onto? Is there a name for that feature? In order for this process to uh, take place in an efficient fashion, I think all CRISPR systems, DNA targeting CRISPR systems, first search for uh, the so-called PAM uh, protospatial adjacent motif or the PAM sequence. Right, so it's going to look, basically do 3D searching on DNA, look for PAMs, and then when it identifies the PAM, there are plenty of those PAMs in our genome, it's going to try to unwind a small stretch of DNA and see whether it's a, it's a good target or not. If it's not a good target, it's going to let go and keep searching for other PAMs. Uh, but if it's the right target, you're going to have a form a small intermediate uh, between the guide RNA and the DNA. And that's going to propagate into you know, basically the entire R-loop region. And this, uh, the entire process is very much like unzipping a zipper. You're basically unzipping the DNA in a directional fashion. But then during that process, the guide RNA invades and base pair with the, with the DNA. Okay. Are you able to take CRISPR and modify it to make custom CRISPR that will cut 
exactly where you want it to cut? Like, how, how would you modify it? Can you? So, yeah. So people try to do that when they want to enhance the, their CRISPR tools. For example, the Cas9 is very efficient and finding at finding target, but sometimes it's overzealous at cutting the substrate. So it's uh, the off-target effect is on the high end. So people will come up with strategies to curb its activity and make it more basically a high fidelity enzyme. And so my tool, the CRISPR-Cas3, I would argue is a, it's a pretty high fidelity tool from the beginning. And so there are some inherent features that makes it, makes it pretty specific. And so for now, we're not, we're not so worried about the off-target effects uh, in our system, but we are interested in engineering the PAM specificity, right? So I mentioned that PAM, you know, all CRISPR tools search for PAM first before it opens the R loop. And so if you want to specify a target, it has to have a PAM nearby, a native PAM. So if you're, if there's no PAM, then you're out of luck. You cannot cut that target. And well, so can you splice one in, in one round and then use another CRISPR to go in there and, you know, that's a, that, that would be one thought, right? So that would be a one, you know, feasible thought. And so, but people, what people were trying to do is to essentially relax the PAM specificity in their CRISPR tools, make it, make their tool to recognize, you know, additional PAM sequences. And so, so, so called the switching of PAM specificity. And so that could be done through either structure guided designs or test tube evolution, basically directed evolutions. So both approaches generated very powerful tools for CRISPR-Cas9. And, and people are trying to replicate the success in other systems. Okay. Well, what do you think is going to be possible in the next few years? And what's what's further out versus that? In general or in my... Yeah, you know, with, with your targeting, with the specific, you know, CRISPR targeting uh, with, with your system, like what, what right. hypothesis you're testing right now? What do you think is going to be possible in the next year or so with your research? Yeah. So certainly we want to make our tool more robust in terms of, you know, uh, for example... It relax the PAM specificity so that it can be, it can target more, uh, it has a wider target space. And we're trying to tame its deletion activity, so make it more precise. And so uh, the goal is that, you know, if for many molecular de- diseases, genetic diseases, you know, a deletion editing would be, would be perfect for as a therapeutic tool. Right. So, for example, if the mutation really messed up the splicing pattern, many ways where a deletion will rescue its function. But we have to do it in a very precise and in, in a very precise way, right? So in a very safe way. And so that has been the goal uh, in the lab to find out strategies to make it very precise and no off-target effect and expand this uh, PAM specificity so that in the end, we get a very safe and also robust tool for therapeutic, therapeutic usage in the future. Okay. Very good. What's the best way for people to find out more about your research? Where can they go? Right. So I have a website. And so certainly you're welcome to. So basically it's, so it's a Google website, but if you search my name, you can find it. And I have a Twitter account and not the most social person. I don't tweet all the time, but I try to be, you know, it seems like the younger generation of scientists are very proficient, more proficient in using those tools than people like me. Uh, so I'm trying to adapt to the new waves of communicating with other. Uh, you need to find like a Twitter CRISPR that goes in there and cuts out the information you need and pastes it into the right tweet automatically. <laughs> yeah. Well, very good. Asung, well, thank you for coming to the podcast. I appreciate it. Sure. Yeah. Thank you again for the opportunity. If you like this podcast, 
please click the link in the description to subscribe and review us on iTunes. You've been listening to the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. If you like what you hear, be sure to review and subscribe to the Finding Genius Podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. And want to be smarter than everybody else? Become a premium member at FindingGeniusPodcast.com. This podcast is for information only. No advice of any kind is being given. Any action you take or don't take as a result of listening is your sole responsibility. Consult professionals when advice is needed.